I have long been a deep, deep admirer of the music and work and searching of Bruce Coburn, searching for humanity, searching for purpose, searching for his own spirit, searching perhaps for salvation. His music touches every kind of nuance and emotion that can be expected in a human life, and he tries with true humility to encourage and inspire all of us in our journeys. For 50 years, Bruce Coburn, a Canadian musical legend, has been capturing in song the essence of human experience while fiercely striving to make it better. One of Canada's finest artists, Bruce Coburn has enjoyed an illustrious career shaped by politics, spirituality, and musical diversity. His remarkable journey has seen him embrace folk, jazz, rock, and world beat styles while traveling to such far-flung places as Guatemala, Mali, Mozambique, and Nepal, and writing memorable songs about his ever-expanding world of wonders. My job, Bruce Coburn explains, is to try and trap the spirit of things in scratches of pen on paper and the pulling of notes out of metal. Welcome to Behind the Drive Shortcuts. My name is Douglas McLean, and our very, very special guest this morning is Bruce Coburn in conversation about his life's work, 50 years of recorded music. Here we are. Yeah. Well, it's a great honor to meet you. Uh, I have to admit, uh, I've, uh, like so many others, I've enjoyed your music my whole life, so... uh, I have a few things that I'd love to say to you about it all and uh, hope we have a little bit of an opportunity to have a chat. Uh, so certainly congratulations on the 50th anniversary and uh, that's pretty amazing achievement and also the fact that you've been in the music business for so much longer than all of this is pretty extraordinary. Um, I think I was uh, 18 the first time I saw you, so... <laughs> It's, it's pretty amazing. It's quite a thing. I I have to tell you, I've, I've been listening to a song you did with Willie P. Bennett uh, called "Who's Going to Get the Last Word In" this uh, this last week uh, with all this uh, challenges going on around us. Uh, so much, so many people are in distress. It seems, and uh, I thought that was kind of an interesting. Tune. Do you remember playing on that at all? I do not actually. I, I, I mean, I, I do. Once you mentioned it, it was like, oh yeah, that yeah. was because that that would be in the eighties, I guess. Yeah, late eighties, somewhere in there. Um, yeah. And it, was, it would have had something to do with Colin Linden because yeah, I, I mean, I, I used to run into Willie now and then at festivals or something, but but yeah. I didn't really know him that well. Yeah. But uh, but I, but Colin. I mean, their their band, right? Is, is named after right, exactly. His, yeah. uh, and, their, and the first album was a tribute yeah. album of, yeah. and it might have been in the context of that, I guess. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, I'm <laughs> glad it's out there. Glad you like it. Ever, <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Find it useful. Yeah. So um, the first thing that I I uh, thought was interesting about the fiftieth uh, anniversary album or the greatest hits and album is that you didn't include any uh, instrumentals on it and uh you've uh you've almost had an instrumental on every album you've released so uh, 
did you was that was there on purpose or did you or was it because... oh well the, the, it was, i mean calling an album of mine greatest hits is you know is, is uh, depending on what angle you view it from either a distortion or a lie or <laughs> or uh, uh or wishful thinking but it but um the the uh I mean, some of the songs on on there actually were his, but the premise of the album uh, of the collection uh, is just all the singles. Oh, I see. So we 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 never sent an instrumental piece to radio. Okay. Over okay. the years, figuring that the odds were against <laughs> such a thing being played. Yeah. But uh, so starting with going to the country, which which we did. I mean, that actually got some airplay in a, in a limited way off the first album, and then. You know, over the years, there have been a few others that got quite a bit of airplay, and 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 some things that we thought should have but didn't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. No. Okay. I, then I misunderstood because uh, I thought uh, that the album was sort of uh, your pick of uh, greatest okay. hits, but so maybe I misunderstood um, a little bit. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not. It's not a best of. I mean, it was not intended to be oh, okay. my or anybody else's. Okay. Uh, idea of what a best of would be I, I, that would have been a very difficult thing to put together and there'd be many arguments that, uh, yeah. over the content of it and you yeah. know I'd probably end up with a whole lot of long talking songs yeah. uh, on yeah. there but it but uh, yeah. um, but uh, you know I, I this the idea was just so the songs that, that got airplay of course you know are what they are yeah and a lot of the other songs, have become kind of concert favorites that I get requested. Right. That, that I, ha I have people request all the time. So, uh, you know, there, it was really worth just thinking of putting all those songs together that have been kind of the most popular ones mm -hmm. um, as a kind of celebration of the 50 years. I mean, mm -hmm. we could have gone at it from a number of different oh, yeah, angles, but yeah. that was what we picked. Yeah, yeah because, uh, I mean, uh, the first thing that I thought of was all this. There were so many songs that I loved that I would have picked. <laughs> you know, so um, it's it's a pretty hard choice with that huge um, catalog of songs. Um, uh, but just staying just staying a little bit with the instrumental side of things. Um, uh, just before, if we could explore that just a little bit. Um, do you when you work on your instrumental? pieces do you uh do you have the music in your head or do you chart it out somehow or is it just sort of an exploration uh because they're fairly intricate and uh i just and you know quite different than sort of a song structure so i just i wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because they're so predominant in your catalog and uh it's yeah i mean guitar I, I was an aspiring guitar player before I was an aspiring songwriter. Right. Um, and, you know, guitar has always been a, a, an important part of my relationship to music. Um, and so, you know, these instrumentals pop out every now and then, and they come from uh, usually, well, I, I, it's, maybe it's safe to say always, from um, just exploring in the course of practicing or whatever, or okay. just, just sitting playing, then yeah. I'll stumble on something that sounds like it could be a motif that could be developed into a piece. Right. Um, the piece, uh, um, 
Sweetness and Light, for instance, from from the, the instrumental album, the most recent one right, yeah. from Growing Night, is uh, was like that. It was like, oh, this little riff that was just moving across the strings with the switching fingers, kind of. Right. And it in in the the dad gad tuning that it's in, right. it produced this little melodic thing, and it's like, oh, that that could go somewhere. Right. And I just worked on it then, and it's and then it's a question of just more exploration and finding something to some somewhere to take that idea right uh, it's pretty much all worked like that the the end of all rivers which is is one of the more popular instrumental ones yeah uh, came out of view playing along with with the echo right that's that, as you hear in it so the you know i, I thought i you get if, if you slow the echo pedal down enough yeah it'll play harmony with you right you yeah set it up right so right. so that was the idea i just started looking for things that would harmonize well with with the guitar and i came up with that yeah. um that piece that is which is largely improvised but yeah. but uh the the composed part of it is is came out of that right yeah i mean that's a pretty popular song on uh spotify <laughs> uh yeah i'm not it's just a bit surprising i mean i'm ha happy about it but uh, yeah you know it, it doesn't seem like an obvious thing but yeah. there it is yeah i was uh trying <laughs> i was trying to take all the horn blaring up in ottawa and see if there was a song to be uh to be made out of all of the frequencies, you know, because you start to hear the overtones and all the horns, right? Sure, yeah. <laughs> and it was driving me crazy. And then I thought, oh my gosh, you know, we got to do something positive with this. And uh, that'd so be I, something Naaman Tobin would might do. I, I, <laughs> the, the uh, I mean, those, or I, I, I'm reminded of the musique concrète, yeah, uh, classical form, you know, or so-called classical right. form right. from from the earlier 20th century, like that. You know where they they made recordings of construction sites and all that sort of stuff, and and edited it together into something that, that resembled music. Yeah. So yeah, you could certainly make. I mean, I'm sure. You could find something like <laughs> wow, that. you could turn it into you could turn it into a synth uh, patch pretty easy. I'm sure. Um, but I, I'm not that's very. True. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a frightening thought. I'm not. I'm not very good at that stuff, but. But I uh, I like to try it and uh, just mess around with it a bit. So um, and you know uh, one of the things that in the last few concerts I've seen you in up here in Ontario you've you've played uh, Sunwheel Dance, and uh, which really surprised me because it goes back so far in your catalog, and uh, I you know I rem when I saw you last and you played that I was so I was reminded of what beautiful album that was. And went back. Uh, I saw you in Huntsville a few years back that you did that, and uh, so um, that was the first, the first uh, instrumental I recorded. I think wasn't yeah, it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. That, that was the second album, right? I think I can't remember. Yeah, um, uh, third album. Yeah, but it, but yeah, um, yeah. There was. I think I didn't have instrumentals on the first two. Yeah, wasn't but, Ting? But it, wasn't it, Ting the Cauldron? Uh, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! I forgot about that. that on on a high wind sway sky, yeah, yeah. good memory. That um, yeah, that was a that was totally improvised. Of course, that right. it was just me and and John Wire and and uh, Michael Hayden from Nexus. Oh right, jamming yeah. in the studio. Oh, 
Well, you know, that song really intrigued me because, and that, that was a question I wanted to ask, is that throughout your work, you've made reference to many kinds of different kinds of approach to spirituality. So, for example, you know, the reference to the I Ching, and then there's, you have some references to the tarot cards and Tibetan symbology and things like that. I, and I was wondering if, if, if any of those, if that early uh, part of your uh, influences, I mean, have they kept in, have you kept them in your life up to now? Like, has any of those pieces stayed there? Is anything important or anything? Um, it's gone on from there. I, I would say, uh, I think I got interested in, in spirituality through, as a lot of people did in the sixties, I guess, you know, through kind of exposure to occult notions right, yeah. for want of a better way to put it, you know, and, and that included the tarot and, and, um, and it, well, it even predated that actually be when I was in high school and reading beat literature, okay, that got me interested yeah. in Buddhism, sure. and and uh, so the but there's, um, I just became conscious at an early age that you know in my teens I guess that uh, that there was a, an that the non physical side of the of the cosmos needed attention right yeah. or invited attention at least exactly. let's say needed perhaps not the right word okay. but that that it that, that it was you know a big chunk of things and and we should be paying attention to it. and at first it was i you know having grown up with the kind of the trappings of christianity uh but not more really mm-hmm. um yeah i didn't immediately go there to look for spiritual inspiration I, I i looked at these other exotic things that were interesting because of their novelty partly and because they were because they're essentially interesting right. to me yeah for sure. uh inherently and so uh and i knew a lot of people that were much deeper into that stuff than i was or uh, you know a number of acquaintances that that uh you know people i mean in the 60s it was Sort of if fashionable in some circles yeah. to go around calling yourself a witch and that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, that you know it wasn't Wicca. Yeah, that that grew out of that too. But right. but uh, but it, it you know it was something more kind of just more more of a hippie right. thing in a certain way. But it it became apparent that it wasn't just that because there was some real stuff going on there. Yeah, exactly. So I, that, that kept my interest in it, and it you know. It, I, I, I read a lot about it right. uh, uh, from all angles, and I and but then after a while, I was also reading, along with uh, uh, you know the the more exotic stuff. I was reading C.S. Lewis, and uh, you know, and this and a, one of Lewis's buddies in the in the group, the little literary group they called the Inklings, uh, Charles Williams. Somebody sent me. Uh, a Charles Williams novel, and I and I was blown away by it. Terrible writer, but but a guy with an incredible vision of how how the spirit right. works. Right. So so um, you know, and I after a while, I I just it was a Christian. Right. So the other things did not completely leave. I mean, I still find 
as did Williams. And one of the things I liked about Charles Williams was that he, of the series of seven, I think, I think there are seven novels. Each of them deals with a different um, discipline of the occult and, but relative to Christianity, but it doesn't go very, I mean, it's, it's, it's very unconventional uh, Christianity. Right. But, but there's one of, one of his novels is called the greater trumps and it actually involves the, the, the tarot cards and all that, all okay. this sort of stuff, yeah. but it's essentially a Christian right. story. Right. So the, the, the respect that he had for that uh, mirrored my own and that made it made his books even more kind of interesting to me, but, and I still have that respect. I, um, I just moved out of a place that we'd been living in for the past 10 or more years um, that was right next door to a little occult shop in San Francisco. Oh yeah. And um, you know, I'd go in there and I'd look at the books and there's, there's version, there's elements of the occult that I have no use for whatever. I am not a fan of Aleister Crowley. Right. No. You know, I think he's a dickhead and I, I, I think he's, you know, uh, I just, I don't want anything to do with that side of things that right. the self-conscious a kind of juvenile rebelliousness that's in it rebelling against whatever it is he thinks is good i i don't you know or whatever i i don't know i read some of this stuff early on and and i was turned off but other things um have their uses and have their merits and it's but it's, they also have the capacity to kind of divert one's attention from uh, from what I think of as kind of the central point, which is a relationship with the divine. I mean, you can have a relationship probably through those means. Right. Uh, but you want to be careful of who you're having a relationship with, I think. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I think it's possible um, to, same as with Rumi or, you know, with, with the, I mean, every culture has its, point of contact with the divine right and at some of those points seem more worthy to me than others do um, you know i'm not fond of cannibalism for instance <laughs> as a means of, you know yeah. <laughs> getting enlightened yeah. but but um but uh yeah i mean it, i mean we have to i think the more we understand about everybody else's understandings Mm -hmm. the more we understand period right so it's good to pay attention to these other things thomas merton talks a lot about that yes, with respect to zen exactly for instance yes. too yes. you know so anyway blah there's a long dissertation on well I'm, I mean, bruce the reason i bring it up is because uh you were your music along with others of course was extremely influential in my own questioning and uh and it helped validate because i came from very little town very strict christian kind of tradition uh protestant tradition and the idea of searching because what i heard in your music was a like a man's or a person seeking some sort of fundamental relationship with their purpose in life right and it inspired me in all kinds of ways. And now that I'm in my 70s and looking back at my life, I realize that all of these things were, be I was being guided along by something, right? And 
that brings me to the question that I wanted to ask you a little bit is if in your life work with your faith and that did you have you have have you found a sort of uh constant presence now i mean do you f- so do, do you feel like your relationship has gotten more on more firmer ground perhaps if that's even a possible way of deciding. it's not as constant as i'd like it to be yeah. um but i i feel like that relationship has been there all along yeah. i it's a it's more uh, intentional in different ways than at, for me now than it has been a lot of the time. Right. Um, and, but you know, the distractions still show up and yes. sometimes it's, yeah, I, I'm a little more focused on, than other times, right. but, um, but I, I, to me, it's the central issue in life. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and I feel, I, I really feel like, and this is, I, I think I've felt it all along in a kind of mo- at moments, let's say, uh, felt that, you know, I was being invited to or prompted to make a choice right. or take a step that, right. uh, that really needed taking that was it, whether it made sense or not was the right thing to, to do. Right. And, uh, you know, those things show up from time to time. And with hindsight, as you were describing it, it's, you, you can see the pattern there. Right. You see how, you know, and, and, and it starts to feel like, yeah, there's definitely, I've been led to be where I am. Yeah. Well, you know, and I'm happy about that. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, yeah. and sometimes, you know, I had to be like dragged by my nose and sometimes, yeah. uh, I, you know, the gentle nudge from, yeah. Yeah. from behind. And sometimes it didn't take any nudging at all. I yeah. don't think, yeah. but, but definitely there's, there's a uh, shape to it all. You're listening to Behind the Drive Shortcuts. This is the podcast version. My name is Douglas McLean, and I had the deep honor, great honor really, of meeting and chatting with Bruce Coburn on February 8th, 2022. He was a very open and humble and kind man to talk to for this while, and I really, really admire his music. Please continue to enjoy our conversation. Hope it has some meaning for you. Well, I mean, for me personally, I I found that to be something uh, to be incredibly humble and grateful for, uh, because uh, you know, uh, you know, no matter how tumultuous (laughs) this whole journey goes, this you know, this idea that something is watching out for us all, you know. So anyway, and I'm so I'm grateful that your music reflects that because that's what I keep coming back to in it. And uh, so, um, so let me just talk a little bit about, um, I, w- I wanted to ask you a little bit about slide guitar because I've noticed in recent photos of you playing live that you seem to be playing slide. Now I'm not sure. And I don't recall, no, no. just the laps. Oh, maybe I'm missing the instrument. Okay. The, the, no, I, I, I mean, there's a couple of instances on record. There's on, on Night Vision, I play slide banjo on right, one yeah. song, and 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 there's. But I, I'm a crappy slide player. Oh, I don't. Okay. I don't. I, yeah, I haven't really developed that side of things. And okay. at, at working with Colin Linden, I mean, who was a, one of the masters of that exactly. style of guitar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I'd have the nerve to <laughs> present myself on the slide at this point, but. Yeah. 
but no, I mean, whatever, I don't, I'm not sure what pictures you've seen. I use it. I have a Dobro okay. a metal body Dobro that I use on stage a lot, Yeah. but, um, but I don't play slide on it. Okay. It looked like it was some sort of lap uh, slide or something, but I mean, Oh, you're thinking of the dulcimer. Oh, maybe it's probably. the dulcimer. Oh yeah. Okay. Cause it's on, I play it on a keyboard stand, Oh yeah. but it's, um, but it's, it's, it, I mean, dulcimer traditionally is played on the lap, but right. I don't sit in a way that I can hold it yeah. properly and, yeah. and play it. Um, but um, that's probably what you've okay. seen thinking. Yeah, because I thought, boy, that's that's another very interesting step forward to, you know, the slide is quite challenging, I, in my humble experience. And <laughs> so, yeah, yeah to try to get it all the way. Yeah. So uh, just let me check where I'm going here. So, yeah, because, uh, you know, uh, one of the things I've uh, talked to uh, some blues players about is, you know, the slide allows you to get into these so-called microtones and things. And uh, and there's a whole story around how those somehow uh, were so valuable, you know, to uh, the early blues guys. And um, so... On your on your lyrics side of songs, um, you like I said earlier, there always seemed to be in a, a sense in many of your songs that you were trying to answer questions. Did you did you feel at at any part of that part of your career that did that you get intimidated at all by trying to present those kinds of songs because they were uh, you know especially that first seven albums they were pretty uh, uh, pretty vulnerable in a way and personal um and quite unique actually but you didn't see it that way well i, I mean i i just i followed my muse you know basically okay. I, like i when i started writing the first song i remember first song I, I that i wrote that i would actually sing in front of people uh, and and i and it's been a long time which everyone should be grateful for since i've done that but but um was the song called "It's Not You Who's Leaving" because baby, I'm heaving you out, <laughs> and, and and it was a kind of like a stupid rock song from right. you know, like a typical it had a groove like sort of da da ba da 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 sixties thing that you heard a lot, and and you know it was it was a silly attempt, but. That was just kind of the icebreaker, and 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 you know, actually, I shouldn't put it that way because there's probably a hundred songs from the second half of the '60s that no one should ever hear. Yeah, uh, exactly. The ones that were the ones that were good that I thought were good ended up on the first two albums. Right. Uh, but the um, you know there was a, I mean, I was influenced by Dylan by by. Uh, you know uh, the the developing kind of singer songwriter sure. genre of this yeah. in a big way like dylan dylan was the most important influence but there were others yeah. and uh in terms of lyric writing that is yeah and the beatles and you know but um the uh i mean you write enough stuff and after a while it starts to like the the stuff that actually means something that's more personal I, I, let me just rephrase that. The stuff that comes out that is more personal becomes the stuff that's more mean, meaningful right. also. Okay. So, you know, I could write a song that, you know, I, uh, 
that was kind of derivative of, of a Beatles style sure. yeah. and, and just make up lyrics to go with whatever. And, but uh, I, this is, this was over the course of the second half of the sixties, because I basically started thinking of myself as, as someone who wrote songs in at, at the end of 1965. Yeah. And uh, so the next five years, really, I was developing songwriting and developing it in the context of, of different bands that I was playing in, and then eventually, with the intention of going solo. Right. Okay. And 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 but going solo for me meant the guitar had to be the band, right? Which is one of the reasons that I that I that the guitar is so. Uh, integrated into the songwriting is, I mean, it's, um, it's not a melody and strummed chords almost ever. Uh, it's, it's, it's more complex, but, but in terms of lyrics, it, it's, you know, I, I don't know. It just, after a while, it made sense to uh, just be on the lookout for, for impulses and little triggers that would would set off an idea. Right. Um, sometimes it's a natural scene. Sometimes an encounter with a person, or sometimes um, some, it'd be, but you know, I'd be reading poetry, and 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 it would set off a kind of chain reaction. Blaise Sandra, the French poet, uh, there was a lot of influence from him. Uh, from after I went to Japan in the later 70s, I, I was introduced to the work of a poet, a Japanese poet named Kenji Miyazawa, who uh, was brilliant. He's, he was active in the 30s, died, died young of TB, but wrote um, some really great poetry. And, uh, you know, I so I'd be reading this stuff and I... I it would just set up. It would be like there'd be a certain image. Sometimes it was actually looking at a thing that would be the image, but but often it was in in reading um, or even reading a sci-fi novel or whatever. You get right. uh, just like, oh yeah, like that. That's interesting. And then the next time, then then I'll see something. Then that idea or image will connect to the next thing I right. notice, and and out of that will come a song. Right. Now, so it's not really. It's not like I, I have a position on songwriting exactly. It's just except to be uh, receptive to those kinds of impulses. Right. And and you uh, you've been it's been reported many times that you write your lyrics first. And uh, did I probably got a little glitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so and that's that seems well, to be rare in a lot of songwriters. Um, um, yeah, I, I, I've, I'm sure other people do it. I, I've, I'm more commonly I run into people who oper- operate the opposite yeah. in the opposite direction. Right. Come up with, you know, a nice melody, and then they try and find lyrics to go with it. And I've just found it works better for me. I, I the, the, when I've tried to write lyrics intentionally like that, where I've had a frame a defined framework in mind it doesn't work out very well. Sometimes, I mean, I can't think of a good example right now, but there probably are such that of songs of, that I've recorded that I, you know, are a little stiffer, a little mm, yeah. less on the mark uh, lyrically than, than some others. And that might've been more uh, 
the result of trying to find words to go with right. some music that yeah. was working. Uh, but but uh, I, I've, I've said this elsewhere, but the, for me, writing the music for lyrics is analogous to scoring a film. Yeah. So you have, you've got the imagery, you've got characters, maybe not most, most of my songs don't involve characters too much, mm. but except my own, but there, but there, there's imagery, there's ideas that want to be supported. So the music is, creates a field for those lyrics to exist in. Right. And that, that's kind of how I think of it. Yeah. And, and uh, like, do you write to projects or do you just write all the time or? Uh... <laughs> Um, I write whenever I think of it, whenever I think of something. <laughs> okay. But sometimes it's a long time in between. Yeah. yeah. You know, I've had long dry spells, but yeah. but uh, um, but you know, they, the the stuff keeps coming. Right. Well, luckily it does for us. Um, so, could I ask about a couple of songs, uh, if you don't mind, uh, mm-hmm. that, that are not necessarily on this album, um, but have had great meaning uh, for me personally. And the first song that I would like to th- ask you about is uh, "Beautiful Creatures," from uh, from uh, oh, I've forgotten the name. Oh, the Life Short Call. Is it you've never seen? It? So, or is it, is, that, is it on Life? Yeah, yeah Life Short yeah, Call. Yeah. No, that's right. And I, with the beautiful string parts. Yeah. That uh, well, John Orsmith wrote. Yeah. And your soprano. I think you're singing falsetto, and uh, it, it's it's just so heartbreaking and so so real. I mean, and so on point i mean so would you mind talking a little bit about that for uh, folks i can uh, i yeah a little i mean i'm i i i do not mind talking about it at all i just not sure how much i can meaningfully say but but i i was in i was living in montreal when i wrote that um and um i don't remember what actually triggered it but i i just remember and it might have been for all I know, a TV ad or something. Just the image of, and I might have, I feel like I saw it somewhere. I don't really remember where I saw it, whether it was a, a you know, a World Wildlife Fund ad or, or uh, something else. This image of a polar bear just leaving the scene. Right. Like looking back and walking away. And, and, and I, started thinking about that and on this one particular day I was just uh, I found the whole notion heartbreaking right. of of you know this this the loss of species that we're undergoing I mean you know it's it's hard to care too much when you you're losing a few thousand insect species yeah I mean because because they're, they're, they don't live around here and I don't right. notice it and right. they're insects anyway and whatever blah right. blah blah but course the chain chain of life requires their presence to be to remain intact so the loss is meaningful whether you whether you like insects or not but um but you know with the the higher mammals that are kind of closer to us you, you see them disappearing you see lions disappearing you see uh all kinds of species of birds disappearing you, mm-hmm. uh, and it just at the time of, that I wrote that song I mean back well it was even worse when I wrote if a tree falls earlier right. like a, a decade earlier right uh 
that that was we were losing a species a day basically exactly, yeah. that was the, the figure that was cited but now it's like hundreds a day yes it's gone it's going so fast now yeah it's all snowballing and and so after you know like 10 years late after if a tree falls I, i'm looking around going and this is even worse and it's uh it's um and it remains. I mean, it's gotten worse since, of course. Yeah. But but it's, that's where what started the song, anyway. And then I'm thinking too. The other the other sort of point that that I thought was a good one to put in there was the idea that underneath the pavement is earth. Right. Right. We we because we mostly live in cities. I mean, not everyone does, but most of us do. And. Uh, and you walk around on on a surface that's an unnatural one, so you don't really notice the life in the planet. Right. It's all your only sense of life really is humans and their pets. Right. So um, it's it was just worth pointing out, and 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 it's kind of kind of oh, meditating is overstating it, but you, I'll, I'll let the word go because I can't think of a better one, but. Kind of meditating on the idea that that that, yeah. that underneath the pavement is is the planet, yeah. and the planet has a life, and and that life is in jeopardy, and yeah. ours is with it. Yes, yes. So and we're not. It's, pa- it's heartbreaking, and we're not paying attention. And uh, I mean, the emotional the emotional performance in that song is uh, is very touching. I mean, you can't escape not only the message of the song, but I mean, just the heartbreak too. So anyway, thanks for sure. Cause that's one that I've carried. I've it's, I've, I play that quite frequently. And uh, the, the other song, Bruce, that I've carried around my whole life with me. Um, and uh, you know, uh, I've been involved with music in one form or another throughout most of my life is is thoughts on a rainy day, thoughts on a rainy afternoon from the very first album. Um, for some reason, uh, that idea of you know it was almost I hear it like a prayer of sorts. And don't take my love or don't don't take my being away from me. You know, with all this stuff around us. And uh, I mean, I don't know if you can share anything about that song, but do you ever get asked to play that in concert and things? Uh, um, no, but it's interesting you mentioned it. I mean, I, I don't, I don't remember being asked to play that, yeah. I mean, at least not for a very long time. Yeah. I, I probably did get asked back yeah, sure. you know, when it was new, yeah. but, um, but, um, the Canadian brass just did an album of, uh, <laughs> you know, featuring Canadian songwriting. Yeah. And, and, and so I did a version of that song with them. Really? Oh I mean, we didn't, goodness. we weren't in the room together doing it, unfortunately, because of yeah. time and distance and COVID, etc. But, but, um, but um, they, yeah. So they included me singing with them on that album, and it was really great to revisit the song. I hadn't sung it for years, and right. I had to. It was a bit challenging actually to go back and learn. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but I, uh, I think I pulled it off. But it, but, um, the song. I remember sitting in the, I, my my then wife Kitty and I were, we, well, I don't think we were married yet, were we? Yeah. yeah. No, we weren't. Okay. But we were together. We were living together in Toronto in a in a rooming house, 
So we had this room at the top of the first flight of stairs at the back of the house. And, and the alley out behind was where all the garbage cans were. And I was sitting there one day, Kitty was out somewhere and I was sitting there by myself playing. And, and I, and it was raining and there's, there's that sound, right. you know, it was right. like the rain was making music on the garbage cans. And uh, that's what it's, what started it. Right. And then where do you go from here? Well, you know, and I, I thought, can I put Jesus in a song like this? Like I, did, I wasn't a Christian at the time. I didn't think of myself that way. But, but Jesus was powerful. Uh, the image of Jesus was a powerful one. Yeah. And, uh, and, and why not right. you know, pray to him to not uh, have, have the city, in this case it was Toronto, but it could have been, you know, if I'd been in Montreal or Vancouver or New York or Fac Fac, I mean that that it would have been that instead yeah. of Toronto, yeah. but uh, but the um, uh, it it just kind of went from there, and then the last part of it talking about love and love was it of, of great interest to me then as it remains yeah being and and um, I just I think the image of the of Love being, and I'm, I mean, probably when I wrote it, I was probably thinking of male-female love, right. you know, the conventional kind of view. Of, uh, but I, I, although I'm not certain of that, but but that's what I think is likely. And but the fragility of it, how easy it is to just mess it up, right. and and uh, you know, but like a moth wing, it's easily crushed. I, and I still like that image. I think yeah, it's, right. it's I think it really works. Yeah. Um, and so then, and having said, I mean, I, I basically, it's, I think most of my songs, once in a while, I go back and I kind of shuffle verses around and this, this verse should be before that one. Right. But yeah. most of the time they appear in the order. I mean, the lines appear in the order they were written. As as the as the idea develops, right? So, having said, Jesus, don't let Toronto take my song away. Then, so that you know, don't don't let anything take my love away. Yeah, you know, exactly. like this, this is it's, it's because of its fragility, right? So, yeah. so that, that that's yeah. that one. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it uh, it has something that just seems to linger forever. Well, in, in my particular case, I've gone back to that many times in periods of <laughs> turmoil and i'm sure other listeners have too so it's a, it's a wonderful gift that you were given there the the there's so many of your great songs but the last song that i i hope you would talk a little bit about which i i, I was surprised wasn't included on this uh this album was each one lost which um i th- I think almost summarizes a kind of credo, but uh, uh, and in the midst of uh, real difficulty, um, and I have not yet. I, I you may have talked about this in other interviews, but I have not seen anything, and so I wonder if you can chat about that a little bit. Yeah, it doesn't come up very often, and thank you for noticing it because I, 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 I think that song is. I came by that song really honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Let's put it that way. There was minimal, minimal artifice and 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 minimal effort went into writing that. I I was replaying in my mind 
the scene that the song describes, right. uh, the, ramp, the ramp ceremony at, at, at uh, Camp Mirage, the, the so-called secret base that Canada had in the Middle East. And, um, and I, it was so incredibly touching that, to be at that, at, to be there at that moment. I, we were there and I, uh, there was this little group of us that were on our way to Kandahar to sing for the troops right. and well, and we'll sing and, and or otherwise offer some morale boosting material. Yeah. Um, uh, Guy Lafleur was one of the group and, and Mikhail Jean, who was governor general at the time right. was there as, and so, and I was kind of, kind of standing quite close to Mikhail Jean. I, and, and this whole thing's unfolding and we were about to get on the plane, but our departure was interrupted by the arrival of this this aircraft from Kandahar to Camp Mirage with, with the bodies of these two young Canadians on board. So the, the ramp ceremony unfolded with us kind of on the tarmac right next to their plane because it was where our plane had been supposed to be. Right. And uh, and so we, we just all stood at attention and while the ceremony was carried out, and it, and it was, it, I mean, talk about heartbreaking yes, um, indeed. and deeply moving, like not, not only heartbreaking, but also uplifting because the, the, uh, the, the emotion among the assembled troops, I mean, there's probably a couple hundred people on the tarmac. It wasn't, the base staff was not huge, but, um, but you know everybody was in formation, and 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 then they were playing a recording of bagpipes. You know they didn't have a piper there, but uh, it 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 was the the intensity of feeling coming from that group of people was c contagious. Yeah. Uh, you know as well, so as well as just the essence of the event itself being a, a, a very moving one, but. You know, and I'm looking. I look at Michaela John, and tears are coming out of her eyes, and tears are coming out of every, my eyes and everybody else's eyes, and and um, that scene stuck with me. So I, after we we were over there for about a week, and after we got back, I, I was at home, right. just replaying that scene in my mind, and started writing the song. Yeah, it just basically starts with a, a you know, just a a chronicle of. Of the ceremony unfolding, more or less. Yeah. Well, wow, it's so. But it seemed like the implications, and this is where you were going, I guess. What it is is that the, the I mean, obviously, the, in in the in a military context, that camaraderie, that 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 solidarity, has a specific quality that is military. Mm -hmm. But there, there's a lesson there. Yeah. You know, it's like. Everybody there knew it could have been them yeah. under other circumstances. We need to know that too. Yes. Anytime anything like that happens to anybody, yeah. it could have been us. Yeah. And it will be one day. It will. And I mean, of all the things that we have in common, of which are many really, but one of the most obvious and uh, you would hope would be a unifying factor is the fact that we all die. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and and we all leave behind people that are that are sorry we did. Yeah. 
I have some of us leave behind people that are happy we did too, but, <laughs> yeah. but you know, but that's the breaks, <laughs> but, but really, really, uh, you know, well, uh, yeah, what, what's more of a reminder do you need of, of, the, of our, uh, condition. Yeah. Of, of our, our common essence. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I mean, and that, I mean, in a way you caught, you know, there's an old, old traditional exercise, you know, momentum mori, you know, where you meditate on your own, the fact that you're impermanent and, uh, I mean, it's probably from other, another tradition, but I mean, it's, in that song, that's sort of what I heard was we have to remember what's really going on here and get. You are listening to Behind the Drive Shortcuts. My name is Douglas McLean, and we're in conversation from February 8th, 2022, with Bruce Coburn. Anyway, I, I love those last three albums actually um, quite a bit. Um, uh, I, I really like that album a lot. <laughs> and. Uh, uh, and I particularly like Bone on Bone, and uh, so uh, you were you were touring behind that for what, like three? You went on three tours behind that, or something, or you were on the third one when COVID hit. Was that like I couldn't remember? We you. just finished. Yeah, basically. Well, I mean, technically, I suppose uh, that third one was was really about Crying Ignites because right. that was yeah. that album came out at the very beginning of that tour. Right, but. Um, but uh, you know, being an instrumental album, I didn't want to do a show of nothing but instrumentals. Right. I, I thought people would be unhappy with that. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we were, they, some of them were integrated into the show, but but it was more like a bone on bone show, yeah. and um, and it uh, it ended in November 2019, and my family and I went to Martinique for Christmas that year and on our return from Martinique we we welcomed COVID (laughs) and so that that was the end of I mean I didn't expect that to be the last touring I did for two years but there it was yeah how how have you found that period you haven't done you've done a few things in the interim right I, I saw the four new songs video the other night that you did i guess as a fundraiser for your your church or the church that you're associated mm-hmm. with that's, that can, yeah. that's incredible yeah, that, that's an incredible sorry, group of songs uh, are are you planning to record them at all or um is that oh, something definitely that, yeah 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 they i've really, got a bunch of new ones yeah besides since then yeah too there's actually technically enough now to go in the studio really i mean i'll probably wait for a couple more before and or at least Time will pass before we actually get around to it, and there hopefully will be a couple more. But, yeah. but um, yeah, I, I'm, I've been writing yeah. um, in fits and spasms the way I've always done it. Yeah, um, so yeah, but and the four new songs, I, I wanted to get them out there. They're, making them a benefit for Lighthouse Church was uh, was a choice, right? But I, I, I because I thought you know it would be good to put these out in a context of some kind uh instead of just like throwing them out there but but um the i i I wanted people to hear uh a couple of those songs and at now you know i mean or or then yeah i guess yeah or whatever it was yeah Um, but uh 
It just seemed, they, they seemed timely. Yeah. And, um, and so I wanted people to hear me for, cause who knew how long this was all going to take or, and I've never taken it for granted that I'm ever going to write another song. I mean, I, I always want to, and I, and I always hope I will, but you know, I, it, it's the kind of thing that can leave when it wants to. Right. So, uh, you know, <laughs> you, so far it has. You don't have a magic book under your bed or something? That you There's an old rumor that Bob Dylan had a magic book that he would just open up, and that's where he'd get all of his songs from. I don't know if that's true. It's, <laughs> a, it's a funny story. But, I doubt it. Yeah. I kind of doubt it. Yeah, that's doubt like it. He has to work a little, a little yeah. Faustian. For, yeah. Yeah. So... Anyway, yeah, I, I thought those four songs were quite uh, interesting because, uh, you know, and so many people chatted about, uh, you know, how your last album didn't have any lyrics and things like that. So it was kind of interesting. So I, I just want to ask you, oh, and the other thing that I thought was really fascinating is you were using a bourgeois guitar. Is it bourgeois guitar? Which is quite Boucher. different. Yeah, which is quite yeah. different than Boucher. what you had. Yeah. So you ha- yeah. normally you use a Mazar, is it? Or, uh, so I thought, well, that's kind of neat that he's ch- changed uh, guitars a bit. But anyway. well, it's I mean I, I'm using the, the the guitars that Linda Manzer made yeah. in the shows. Yeah. Uh, the but the when we the Boucher was a gift from from them from Boucher. Right. Um, on the occasion of the um, getting inducted into the Canadian Songwriting hall of fame and uh, there was among the inductees were were neil young and and um, michelle rivard and me and uh, various other people but um each of the three of us was given a boucher guitar and you know you think okay somebody gave me a guitar they want they want a guitar player to see their guitar and and it's, it's a nice or whatever yeah I, this happens now and then I, I mean i haven't had somebody give me one but i've had people present their guitars and say what do you think right. and then I, then usually there's a challenge there to be very diplomatic but uh because they're not usually that interesting but and i didn't expect much from this but when i got it out and played it it was shockingly good yeah it was it and, and it's just it just happened to be um, it just happened to be this a very good guitar, but also the scale of it, the way it's the, the, just the proportions of it suit my aging hands and body right. yeah. <laughs> very well. So it, it's become kind of a favorite one to play at home. Yeah. Uh, but but it doesn't have any any um, any kind of amplification built into it. So yeah, I, I and it. And I don't have a very good case for it. Yeah. I mean, I have the case that came with it, and mm-hmm. a, better, a slightly more airline-proof one that I got since. But it's not anyway for, for various reasons. I don't use it on tour. Right. But uh, but it, it's but I love the guitar. Yeah. I love the Manzers too. I mean, yeah. Well, they're you know I think fickle with guitars. I don't think you have to be you know <laughs> a, a one guitar person. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I just that normally that's considered a you know, bluegrass guys use that, you know, like cross pickers and stuff. So it just caught me by surprise because normally, you know, you have your Linda Mars or guitars and stuff. Anyway, it's another, it's a small point. So let me just finish with one small question and I don't want to take so much more of your time, but one, your most famous song in many ways is If I Had a Rocket Launcher. 
and I saw a, a, a remarkable video of you doing that with Crosby, Nash, and Stills, or whatever they were, mm-hmm. and in Montreal, yeah. some way back in the, and uh, the f- two things struck me about the video. First, how calm you were <laughs> trying to play it because there was a lot of energy around you there with these guys singing it and stuff and the and the fact that Stephen Stills was playing lead against it and on it I couldn't ever recall having seen you play with anybody who played lead against your rhythm uh, playing and I thought wow that's interesting now probably there has been but I just never noticed it and I, I haven't done that much work with other guitar players I mean with the exception being the band that toured with two albums that Colin was in. Okay. But, uh, you know, so we did a, a fair amount of two guitar kind of back and forth okay. uh, on those tours. But um, but otherwise, no, I mean, I hardly ever play with guitar players. Yeah. I kind of yeah. want to hog that spot myself. <laughs> but you can't, you can't, can't tell Stephen still to shut up. Yeah. Shut up and well, say. I can't, can't imagine <laughs> telling those guys Not that to I wanted to. Yeah. I mean, those guys, those guys were gracious and, and, uh, you know, it, it was an enjoyable experience, I but, uh, but, um, interesting. But afterwards, Crosby said, yeah, and you're going to get us to sing on your next album too, right? Or we're going to break your legs. <laughs> said, so, you know, I, tell, I, I called him on that, and he hasn't so far broken yeah. my legs. But sure. I, I mean, it'd be great if they came and sang on something. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, he, he hasn't. Crosby's on a tear uh, with his recent bunch of albums. But the, the reason I brought that song up is, uh, is very often that song is interpreted as taking retaliation to uh, an un terrible situation but i've always heard it as a sort of song of helplessness um in a way of not being able to respond and uh so the the reason i brought the video up was because everybody was dancing and singing in this you know and singing along and uh but for me there's a real deep sorrow in that song and uh like yeah yeah there definitely is yeah and, it's i mean it it, it People have responded to it because I, it speaks to the anger that we carry and the, fr- and the frustration that we all carry right. from whatever source. You know, yeah. like in in the case of that song, it was specifically directed against the injustice inflicted on all those Mayan people. Right. But uh, but uh, and and my sense of uh, yeah, you're right on. I mean, my sense of helplessness. Uh, and my rage and sense of outrage at, at, at being in, the, at hearing these stories. I mean, I didn't witness the atrocities that were being perpetrated, but I heard from the people who had survived them right. what had happened. Yeah. And and the, and these people were in desperate circumstances. And again, it was kind of reminiscent of of the scene in Each One Lost, except, I mean, a totally different kind of scene, but. But it had some of that same quality that incredible dignity and uh, and and kind of calm in the face of having survived this stuff. And maybe the calm was shock for all I know. Right. I, yeah. But but the dignity was certainly there. Yeah. And um, it just really that that made a huge impression. So you know, I I don't mind. People have taken it different ways. Yeah. I didn't. When I when it was new, 
first few tours that I, in fact, not even when it was new, but for quite a while, I'd make a long speech before it because I wanted people to understand where it came from. I didn't want people to think that it was a call to arms or, you know, that I was trying to tell everybody to go down and shoot watermelon soldiers or something. Yeah. I mean, that wasn't the idea, but, but I did want people to hear a statement of how easy it is to feel that way, yeah. to feel like doing that yeah. uh, when you're confronted with the kinds of things that, that these people were confronted with. Yeah. Well, the atrocities, too. I mean, I, I worked with a fellow from El Salvador and who was in El Salvador when all of this was going on. And, you know, he, he was a medic or something. And, uh, you know, the stories he told were just bring you to your knees. So, uh, but, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's a great song and people seem to really <laughs> love it. And, of course, uh, the last time I saw you, the whole audience sang along with you to Waiting, Wondering Where the Lions Are. And I was brought to tears by that. Not not so much from you playing it, but the fact that we were all wondering along with you <laughs> and singing along. So <laughs> I wonder one, where the one of the scariest. I was I was going to say scariest moments, but 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 I, that's not quite the right word. But a very very disturbing moment for me was singing "If I Had a Rocket Launcher" at a at a Christian festival in England, and and having. 2,000 people in this circus tent singing along with oh my gosh. that song. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That, I mean, you know, Crosby, Stills, and Nash were, they, they were making music out of it, but it's a different thing when you have a whole audience singing. I mean, that's, yeah. it's music also, but it's, yeah. it, the feel is very different. And so, and English people, English audiences are used to singing yeah. when they when they know what to sing. And so, Unlike Canadian audiences, there's they don't hesitate, you know, to yeah. dive in there. So, you know, there there's uh, uh, here was this tent full of people oh singing. Gosh. Some son of a bitch would die. It's like, <laughs> oh, oh no. God, no! <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just this is all wrong. Yes, yeah. Well, listen, I better let you go. It's really been a privilege to meet you. I have to admit, and uh, I am a deep admirer of your work. And I hope I can't wait to hear more more of it. And I'm sure you'll be blessed with much, much more. Good. I've enjoyed our conversation. Okay. Thank you. you take good care of yourself. You okay. too. Thanks right. a lot. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Behind the Drive Shortcuts. My name is Douglas McLean, and it was our privilege to present this conversation I had on February 8th, 2022, with Mr. Bruce Coburn. Please check out some of the other interviews. This is Hunter's Bay Radio Podcast.